Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, White Sox fans, Brett Valentini here, hosting Southside Sox podcast. It's number 25. With me, returning guest, returning writer. He's back already writing game recaps and game threads for us on Southside Sox. It's Jolton Joel Rhesus. Uh, recently now has, or just recently has conquered data science. He's crushing socks math left and right. So he's just added a new wrinkle. All you challengers out there, jump back. He's coming back. He's going to try to go for three this year. And now he's got some data science behind him. I'm not going to ask you to explain that. I had a headache earlier, right before we went on the air, just hearing about what it is you just finished up. But uh, congratulations. And uh, it sounds like you got to apply some of it perhaps to actual baseball. That's sort of a cool way, way to apply your studies. Yes, thank you so much for the very nice introduction. It is great to be back here. And yes, uh, just finished data science boot camp. I learned a lot about coding. And yes, you're correct. I was able to apply it to baseball and build a couple of models um, that attempt to um, predict how players will perform and um, find you know, which variables are most important in um, driving player value. Um, it was a really nice thing to work on. It was the capstone project I worked on for the program. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. For those of us, I'll say us, for those of us who might be a little bit nervous or uh, just a little bit down about the idea of entering into say data science boot camp, just be straight with me. How many push-ups do they ask you to do in data science boot camp? Uh, boot camp? Uh, they did not ask me to do one, 
throughout the program. I was very surprised. That's excellent. You were never asked to drop and give them anything except more <laughs> data science. That's, I guess it makes mm-hmm. sense. All right, we've come full circle here with the intro. And let's dig right into the early White Sox season. We're just a few games into this very bizarre preseason where it's the standings are very much more than ever reading like, say, I don't know, hockey standings. Uh, the White Sox are winless, but yet let's not get too down because it's not like they've lost a lot of games either. Uh, Joe, you've already written up one of the games, I believe game two this week. Uh your your early impressions, uh, I'd say what you've seen, but of course, it's very early in spring training, so it's sort of hard to see stuff, and you have to sort of learn how to read the hieroglyphics of game day just to sort of figure out exactly what's going on in games, but uh, early impressions from the game you covered and, and just from the, the first few overall. Um, from the game I covered, I liked the four-run inning that they had. Um, yeah, the offense showed some ability to you know, have an explosive inning even after the very slow start that they had that game. So that was that was nice to see. Um, you know, even without some of their main players in the lineup, um, they had some guys that you don't really see um, at the major league level very often who contributed that inning. So that was nice. Um, and of course, earlier this afternoon, Andrew Vaughn hit a homer. That was really good to see with, you know, how Often the DH spot has been discussed this offseason and you know, maybe the White Sox should have done something um, as opposed to just having Andrew Vaughn there and, and not really any viable plan B. Uh, but, you know, so that was really nice to see there, um, uh, to see that three-run homer he hit. And, um, yeah, the player he hit it off was kind of an interesting prospect, um, Kohei Arihara. Um yeah, like his overall career in Japan is nothing special, but the past two seasons he's um, clearly made some big strides forward. So, I mean, I was a little bit surprised to see with like, you know, the season and a half or so um, where he was clearly better than he was previously, that that was enough for him to sign with the major league team. But, um, you know, I'd say why not? And, and. Um, yeah, I believe he is, he'll at least be, you know, serviceable at the major league level. And so it was nice to see Vaughn hit a home run against a guy who, um, you know, isn't a total like lost cause at the major league level. It's never a great sign though, in your very debut in the Cactus League to have some sort of weird white flag escape from an inning though. That's not the biggest confidence booster but it's early, and I'm sure there are oh, yes. very Absolutely. successful Absolutely. major leaguers. That was that was very weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more Sandlot than ever. I mean, uh, they're not quite deciding who gets first ups by throwing the bat up in the air and then going up the handle uh, or, or flipping coins or actually picking the teams beforehand, but it's getting really close to it. Uh, but we'll talk about sort of the nature of this strange Cactus League season and what may not really change very much by the end of March in the second half. Uh, you recall with Andrew Vaughn, I'm sure you remember this, uh, before things were called off last spring, he was a guy who sort of got that courtesy call up, uh, which I don't think is uncommon for uh, first round blue chip picks to sort of get that invite to Major League Camp, right? In fact, it's probably often written into contracts. He had that. But even though spring training was cut fairly early, well, we got maybe a couple weeks of games uh, last year, he was still not just with the team, hadn't been sent to minor league camp, but was still getting some pretty crucial, some pretty important 
major league cactus league at bats late in games. And he was doing something with, uh, you know, your mean Mercedes was the guy who was really most hurt by the cancellation, the pandemic, et cetera, uh, with how his spring was going, both in terms of swagger points and just what he's doing on the field. But Andrew Vaughn might've been right behind him because the guy, you know, was given the challenge uh, and he took it. And the White Sox could have easily said, all right, you had your few games. Now, you know, go to the backfields where you're going to be more comfortable. You haven't played any professional games yet, Harvin. Uh, but he pretty much took that challenge and went with it. So it's really not a shock at all from everything we heard about what he did in Schaumburg, the fact that he was really borderline call up for last year's team uh, to see now that he's really hit the ground running without even having been t- com- formally handed the DH job it seems likely, but you know, he doesn't have any like bright confidence boost there. He's still going to have to earn it for him to hit the ground running like this and really probably be the best hitter on the team. Just a few games in, uh, is some real validation. And as, you know, as, as fans who might've been skeptical at any time with Andrew Vaughn or making the jump into the majors from such a, a low point professionally in 2018, uh, this is heartening so far. Yes, absolutely. Um, we, you know, with as little minor league experience that he has, you know, in most cases, the, you know, a player would not be able to see any you know, kind of serious chance of, starting the season in the major leagues, but, you know, he, you know, when he was drafted, he was you know, about as polished a hitter as, as they come. So yeah, like, like you said, you know, with what he's shown us and with the positive reviews coming out of Schaumburg, yeah, it's not much of a surprise to see him um, performing at, at this high of a level. I know Jose Abreu never likes to be talked down. So Jose, I hope you're listening and watching so that you can get angry at what I'm about to say, but Jose has had one strong defensive season, um, uh, borderline, certainly gold glove defense in the very short sample of last year. Prior to that, he's been a, he's been a very poor defender. I know there's aspects of the game that are good and maybe overall, you know, he, obviously he's clearly a wash to have his bat in the lineup. But let me pose this to you. Andrew Vaughn hits like he's doing, uh, can play in theory, <laughs> according to summer camp last year, all over the field, he was taking reps at third base uh, last summer. Uh, but knowing that he can probably bring better defense, uh, more youth, uh, more so-called athleticism to the field, if Abreu struggles in the field, is there any change-up of the mix and how you run those guys out there? Knowing that that's your tandem at first base and probably like pretty much DH, do you foresee any chance uh, Abreu getting more and more DH reps over the season, assuming both of them offensively uh, are going to be solid, as solid as we can expect from a rookie? Yes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that to happen early on in the season, but you know, as the season goes on, if Abreu is um, showing some consistent struggles in the field, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah, typically um, when you – use a pick that early in the draft. You're not expecting the player to be a full-time DH, you know, in the long run. Um, it's fine to have, it's a lot of time. It's fine to have the player play DH yeah, a decent portion of the time, but you know, if a Bray who is clearly the number one option to begin the season at first base um, is not showing good signs there. I, I don't really see a reason to not give Vaughn a, a chance to see what he can do in the field. 
The good news is, is, is worst case scenario or best case scenario. Again, sorry, Jose. Best case scenario, you know, he has a very, another strong defensive season. So he's clearly, you know, uh, uh, planting his flag on first base. The very nature of the fact uh, of Vaughn being a young player, um, the fact that he's playing his regular, his other position is going to be DH. The fact that he could get a lot of extra reps with McEwing before games, even after games and, and get, the defensive play that's going to help him hone his game without necessarily taxing him for the season. I mean, that's really the best case scenario. If we're talking about a shortstop moving to third base or something, they'd be like, boy, you don't want to wear the guy down. The fact that the guy's playing DH, he's young. I mean, you really could have two guys who are putting better than average defense out there at first base. And, you know, that's only a good thing for the White Sox. So there's hopefully it's really a, there's, it's only a win-win for the Sox here at first base. Yes, for sure. Um, you can never have too much depth there. And uh, yeah, that in you know, historically, or I guess in recent history, the Sox have had issues with uh, having a situation out of position where if one player goes down, then you know, that's, there's kind of a big gap in between the starter and you know, the next guy down on the list. And you know, it's nice to see that they don't have this situation at that position here. We'll switch over to pitching a little bit here, and this plays off of a story or an aspect of a story that we published today from James Fox. He focused on the bullpen and how strong the White Sox bullpen uh, is anticipated to be, um, probably the best in the American League on paper, uh, especially with the presumed um, guarantees, I guess, as of March 1st. Uh, Some of the talk from Tony La Russa on sports radio was – that like for sure, however much for sure can really mean right now, Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet are going to start with the major league team. They're going to pitch out of the bullpen because, of course, that is going to help with the innings load that both of them have to have managed. Crochet, because he's a younger player, hasn't taken on that load ever. Uh, Kopech, because he's, <laughs> he's been away a couple of years and we, he's still coming off of uh, Tommy John surgery. It's interesting to me. I know people are going to be like pro, pro, pro White Sox and, and, and no weird move can be made by them. We're going to say, well, come on, they're, they're throwing down. Uh, they're saying, listen, this is our season to go for it. So why not, you know, just make this known, you know, no, there doesn't need to be a margin of error because they have no margin of error. They're going to be in the bullpen. It seems a little odd to me, especially when the, the Roos has spoken, you know, there's going to be some competition, et cetera, as much as you can have at the major league level for a team that thinks it's, you know, maybe got World Series aspirations. It's odd to me on March 1st that you are, are that you're saying that. And again, it's not that that's not what, what the ideal situation is uh, to have these guys, as I think James put in his story, using their bullets at the major league level, knowing it's limited. They're only going to be able to face so many batters, throw so many pitchers and, and so many innings uh, against so many, you know, I'm trying to say, uh, but uh, is it premature to just throw that out there? Am I being silly to think, I know I'm not expecting this to be high school camp, but is it a little silly to sort of set that to the point where really, if that's the case, there isn't any competition for this team. The bullpen is set. The pitching staff is fairly set. I guess what we're deciding, what whether there's two or three catchers or, or whether Jonathan LaCroix makes a team or something. Pitching-wise, it seems like it's almost set if Crochet and Kopech are both on the team. Yes, um, I mean, with the way the personnel that they have in in the bullpen, you know, if 
they start in if they begin the season in the bullpen and you know they're the plan for 2021 is to happen there. Like, I think that's a solid starting point for sure. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to see a situation where um, the bullpen isn't an area of big strength for this team. Um, you know, unless, you know, they just have a very unfortunate set of injuries and or players just falling off the table um, unexpectedly. Um like, yeah, I don't think it's a, a bizarre thought to think that, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, that um, the pitching staff is kind of is kind of set, um, barring you know anything going you know very un- unexpectedly in the next in the next few weeks. It's it's interesting to try then to project, presuming everything goes well, with uh, how these guys pitch. Um, obviously, obviously no injury, but of course, performance wise, um, to project into maybe next season, who of the two maybe do move into rotation, are they still going to need that seasoning at Charlotte to stretch out? Or is it somehow going to be, are they going to be proving that with, let's say, short starts at the major league level or even in Cactus League play? It's an interesting arrangement, certainly not traditional. You would expect that it would traditionally be, again, it's not high school camp, but all right. There's a battle for the fifth starter. There's a battle for the fourth starter. We're going to, you know, we're going to give uh, Rodan five innings on this day. We're going to give uh, Crochet five innings on this day, et cetera. See what you do with it. I know that's putting a little bit too much on just some weird, you know, the frivolity of, of, of um, Arizona's weather and, and some spring training game. But at the same time, I mean, it is a matter of what you do on the field. And uh, it's interesting, you know, the about face that, even Rick Hahn, I mean, has to admit he's taken from starting the offseason saying we foresee Crochet stretching out in the minors and then perhaps second half of the season coming up for shorter stints as his innings load, you know, as he's getting close to his limit um, and, you know, presumably maybe the same thing with Kopech. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, I don't know if that's a LaRusa, a Katz influence, uh, or maybe it's, it's, it's maybe a Ken Williams influence saying, hey, man, we, we got, we're, we're pushing the chips in the middle of the table. Let's not waste any, you know, pitches for these guys, you know, down in Charlotte, especially because that that could end up being somewhat of a crapshoot of a season anyway at the minor league level. At least here, we see these guys. We're sort of on top of them. We're we're managing what it is they're doing, every aspect of it. Um, you can see the logic. It, it still has taken me by surprise, both the timing, uh, you know, how quickly it's sort of been assured, and just the decision itself has, has surprised me. Did, did it surprise you at all, or did you think this was a decent chance of this happening? Yeah, I wasn't that surprised that they're not really trying to rush things with uh, with guys like Crochet and and Kopech. Uh, like uh, you know, Kopech, of course, had the the major injury. Um, he's been hasn't had any serious workload in a in a while. Um, Twenty eighteen was the last time he's um, pitched a serious number of innings. Um, and, or I guess any innings at all, um, given that, you know, missed all of 2019 and then opted out of 2020 season. Um, and then, yeah, there was some scare as far as Garrett Crochet, Garrett Crochet's status and, um, at the, uh, like during the, right. um, the, um, playoff series, um, the game three against Oakland when he had to come out of the game early. Um, that was obviously a bit of a scary situation. And um, with how fast he throws, uh, it's not really, you know, 
something that you want to push at, especially at this stage of his career. Um, so yeah, I totally get the feeling of you know, kind of being uh, conservative and also not wanting to have any of their innings um, go toward the Charlotte Knights um, workload uh, as this is, as you said, a season that is very clearly in their window. And if they're at all able to contribute to the team in a positive way, um, then, you know, they, it's best that they should be using up the, the limited innings that they have at the major league level. And I guess, unfortunately, as you brought it up, I wasn't going to bring it up, but as you brought it up, uh, the injury scare in the playoffs does prove that even at the major league level, it's not a guarantee you're going to manage these guys correctly. And when you get, rush Garrett Crochet up with a quick warm up in a situation he's maybe never been in, certainly not in the major league level, and certainly not in a postseason <laughs> major league level, uh, where there's tightness that sends everybody into a tizzy and freaks everybody out and makes us all think that maybe we will not even have them to see in the 2021 season. I guess that means there's no guarantees, but still under the watchful eye of Hasler, Jerry Naren, Ethan Katz, Tony La Russa, Kent Williams, Jerry Reinsdorf, and all of us fans, uh, you know, hopefully there won't be too many missteps. And listen, the, the truth is, as much as I just said, you know, hey, the 13 spots or how many spots are, oh, they're already set on, uh, you know, March 2nd or whatever. Uh, well, come on. Something's going to happen. You know, it's not necessarily going to be injury. It's not going to necessarily be performance, but, you know, it could be that that one of these two guys we're talking about, you know, needs a, a bit of a blow. And maybe then maybe the backup plan, I'd be interested to know or curious if it has been asked of LaRusso or Katz. Okay. If something happens where somebody does need a break or just runs into some bad weather for their uh, scheduled time, you know, do you kick in a plan B being you're starting in a Charlotte rotation or, you know, I don't know what the options are, but you wonder what the other plans might be you know, beyond something catastrophic and weird just hey if there's just a strange setback or who knows Ronaldo Lopez gives up no hits in the Cactus League play um you know what 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 some of the contingency plans are because certainly this these guys are on the team at the start of March uh it did take me by surprise and uh, I guess now we see how well that plan is able to stick over these next 31 days of game mm-hmm. <laughs> because surely something goofy is going to happen, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm not going to uh, take bets or lay odds on it, but you know, something goofy is going to happen. Adam Eaton's on the team. Something goofy is going to happen. Absolutely. Uh, yes. I will be curious to see um, how um, the, the White Sox have quite a few, um, you know, kind of high risk, but also high potential pitchers. And I am very curious to see how, Cats does with them for sure. Yeah. Well, now, now, Joe, that we've got our obligatory Adam Eaton reference out, uh, I think it's probably a proper time to take a break. So we are going to step away for just a second. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, ah, hey, listen, sponsors are good people. Give them a good listen. Give them a full listen. If you're watching us, if you're one of the half dozen folks watching on our YouTube channel, our Southside Hip Pen YouTube channel, just close your eyes, take a deep breath, and we'll be back before you know it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And in fact, we are back. This is the second half of Southside Sox podcast number 25. I'm here with recent data science uh, we'll call him a graduate. I'm, yeah, I don't know if he's a graduate, but we'll call him a data science graduate. He got in there into the trenches, did some crazy baseball research stuff. The guy's probably ready for a front office. He's not going to brag. He's not going to shoot off his, right, as it is right now. I probably embarrass him bringing socks math up every single time I talk to him. But, uh, you know, you'll see Joe and Joel, you'll see Super Joe out there in a, front office, owning a minor league team or some someday. He's going to take all his Sox math winnings. He's going to buy up maybe a high A team and thus begins the climb. All right. I made my predictions, but welcome to the second half. Uh, Joe, thanks for sticking around and not hanging up on me through all of that. Let's take a step back from maybe the players on the field and let's just talk about how Cactus League is looking so far because it's looking really weird. Uh, part of this is pandemic driven. Part of this is the way early spring training goes anyhow, where it's a little bit grab assy and, you know, games get called at weird times or the wind blows too hard. So it's like, get the guys off the field. Uh, but pretty much every game we've seen weird stuff. Uh, today, I think we saw guys maybe on more than one occasion, just, just the inning ended, which is what we remember back during summer camp when you Darvish had like that mercy killing uh, uh, when the, the Sox were just pounding the heck out of them. And they're just like, okay, yeah, innings over. Yeah, okay, you know, uh, and it seems to be routine now. So not only have they all have teams agreed or, or major league dictated uh, five to seven inning games here in the first half of spring training, seven to nine for the second half. Uh, but then within uh, each game now, even these shortened games, weirdness is happening. Uh, your impressions, you've studied at least one of these games pretty closely and weird stuff happened in that one. Uh, your impressions of how the games are playing out so far here in March to comment on that second introduction you did for me first um thank you for that um i hope to prove all of those correct um i do have a ways to go though um but thank you for believing in me very much um, um as far as how the um spring training games are shaping up yeah it has been a very interesting experience without a doubt uh it isn't really something that I'm used to or really anyone is used to to see like all of these major league games getting called after you know five six innings like the past couple have been for for the White Sox uh and and it's been interesting to follow and I, I guess one kind of thought that I had about them is that you know like I mean most people like it seems like most um I, Diehard fans uh, understand, like, you know, it's just a spring training game. They're, these results, are, you know, you really should not take them seriously. You know, followers, people who have been following the league for a long time, um, you know, kind of, you know, while it is exciting to have baseball back finally after missing it for several months, uh, like, the 
don't get, you know, to, it seems to be a common thought to the, you know, not really get too caught up over wins and losses. But now I think that that sentiment has kind of been, you know, multiplied with basically all the games ending or a lot of the games ending shorter than usual. And with teams essentially being able to wave a white flag when you know, things get bad or when pitch counts gets, get high for a particular pitcher. Um, it's just very far from resembling uh, what would happen in, in the major league game. So uh, it's, it's certainly a unique experience though, to follow. You have a lot of people saying, and obviously anybody who's been around realizes, okay, none of it matters. You could win three games in spring training and still win a division, et cetera. I imagine it's happened. I don't know. I want my team to win every game, but okay, no, I get it. It's spring training and guys with really long names or, or, or three-digit numbers are on the field. Okay, I get it. Uh, but the notion of it is like, ah, come on, you know, this is the way spring training is. Well, all right, that's fine. But if I'm buying a ticket, and Lord knows I would not be buying a ticket right now. Yes. Me neither. Uh, if I'm buying a ticket and the game could just on a whim be called like, I don't know, in the fifth or sixth inning, I might be a little frustrated, especially when they're charging me more because there's fewer folks being able to come in and see the games. I might be a little frustrated. Again, I know it's spring training. You're just rolling the dice. You just, you're lucky not to be at work, right? You're lucky to be playing hooky and having like your spring break off in Arizona. Although, again, I'm not exactly sure if I wanted to spend this year of all years my spring break in Arizona. Sorry, Camelback Ranch. But uh, that is the twist that would frustrate me a little bit if it's like, okay, not only am I getting the uh, clown car lineup, um, getting the, the, the B team lineup, but now the game ended. I barely sat down with my, my popcorn and my beer and uh, wow. Um, let me check that ticket again and say, or I'm sorry, on my phone, there's no physical tickets anymore on my phone and say, Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. I spent $50 for these five innings. Oh my, uh, that might leave me, you know, a little, hungry, a little thirsty. Uh, how about you, Joe? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's very, it would be very odd to walk out of a stadium being like, huh, that's really all I get today. Like, you know, really, I kind of planned to be here longer. Okay. Um, it's a little, uh, like, I can't really say I've had an experience like that in real life. I mean, I, I guess I've been to a, I went to a game where it got postponed I mean so I guess that's you know but that was you know kind of a circumstance that you can't get around and it's bound to happen in an outdoor stadium once in a while um whereas this is just kind of like you know no specific reason or no like unavoidable reason I should say as far as that goes so yeah I I could absolutely understand the frustration that you know, fans who pay that much for a ticket would feel. And, and, and it's different too. So we might as well just pull in one of the goofy rules that are again enacted this season. It's different too. If you've seen 10 innings and it's a tie and major league baseball decided instead of uh, dropping a runner from the sky and putting him on a second base to start extra innings, to start the first extra inning for God's sake, that maybe you played a hard 10, 11, 12 innings to a tie. I know again, hockey keep coming up here and I don't want to make it too hockey, but I mean, I'm not sure that there's less dignity in a tie at major league baseball's level than the strange um, home run derby runner on second base in the 10th inning. Again, I thought one thing that Tony La Russa said during Sox spring break or whatever that thing was, uh, where he said, you know, I'm, I don't mind the rule. I would sort of like to see it maybe not in the 10th. I might like to see it maybe in the 
12th because at that point, even the fans are sort of like, okay, I can see us wanting to wind this up. Let's decide this one way or the other. Uh, so we've probably talked about this, given that now this seems to be a semi-permanent rule. God bless MLB. But uh, your feeling about the uh, the pinball wizardry of uh, of dropping a guy on second base to start the 10th inning because we just got to get home or we got other things to do aside from the baseball game. We paid a lot of money to show up and have fun at. Maybe I'm just a traditionalist when it comes to this. I, I don't like the rule of the free runner on second base to start extras. I feel like I feel like teams kind of have to earn that run, and they're not really earning it. If, if the tenth inning goes like by a score of one to nothing, um, essentially, and that's the end of the game, like that just feels like sl- maybe slightly anticlimactic, and uh, it's not. Uh, feels like the run was like partially earned, but partially not because it, and they had a, an excellent scoring opportunity to start the inning anyway. And uh, like, you know, I don't hate it, but I, I would not have voted in favor of it. And God bless Frank Manichino, uh, who probably is my, maybe already my all time favorite White Sox coach, just for his bluntness and his streetwise candor. Uh, because in that very same discussion, he was like immediately, I hate it. Uh, he had a strange and twisted way. And believe me, him being my favorite coach says a lot because I've been yelled at in the clubhouse by Don Cooper. Lord knows Grandpa Don is a, was a fun, fun coach to cover and to watch for low these many years. But Frank's argument was something like, I don't know, it doesn't let the home run hitters who like make their money with, you know, all these like these all or nothing swings, they like diminishes their importance, which I guess is true. It was sort of a strange way to come about that. I expect especially a meat and potatoes guy like him who probably bunted his fair share of guys over to maybe come at it in a different way to just say, Hey, let's just have a legitimate run. And if you got takes a, if it takes another half hour to have that happen, let's just have it be a legit one instead of this, free pass thing but bless the guy he even made Tony the Russo laugh during that spring break thing because he's just like I hate it It sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh you know I think he represents a lot of our, our inner fan uh on that one uh, I guess let's switch uh gears once more uh there's been a lot of talk recently I think this might apply to you and I both. It applies to any worker out there in the world, no matter what uh, different generations of workers they are. There's been a lot of talk out there in the world lately, particularly as it pertains, I think, I think, I'm not really sure what the genesis of this, but I think it had to do with sports media, sports internships. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about internships. And trust me, I know this is a dicey, dicey thing to talk about. Having this podcast hosted on SB Nation for a site who saw its budget unfairly gutted Love you, Tanya. Our boss is terrific, but that was a weird decision for an up-and-coming team. But, uh, Joe, tell me, uh, have you undergone the internship process, paid, unpaid, your feelings about this? Because it seems awfully strange that there are a lot of people out there who are fervently, fervently defending the right uh, to work for nothing for very, very successful companies, work for nothing, and that somehow it builds character it it teaches you that you really love the thing you love if you do it for nothing um it's puzzling to me and i guess i've already revealed some of my feelings but what's been your experience with uh with internships and such yes i've been through the internship process um i was fortunate to have been paid um for the uh for the work uh that i put in there and uh yeah i 
am not a fan of the idea of unpaid internships, to say the least. Uh, I feel like, you know, a common defense that I've seen, you know, to, like, in favor of unpaid internships would be that, you know, well, if both sides, uh, you know, kind of agree to it, like, you can't really be upset about, you know, the results. Uh, Like, the rebuttal that I would have to that is that there is still quite a bit of, like, the uneven, like, power dynamic there um in that like the the intern just really wants to get their foot in the door and they may have very limited options and they may just take whatever is available even if it's not you know the most you know ethical practice out there um and you know they might just be feeling pressure to to accept it which um, isn't you know it isn't a great dynamic and uh, overall I think it's yeah a little bit uh, like in terms of the law goes like obviously under normal circumstances you know obviously free labor is not is not allowed but you know there's a gray area if it's specifically an internship um, which I'm not sure if that should really be the case personally um, and. Uh, like it's overall not a concept that I, that I would, that I would, that I would be in favor of and certainly wouldn't fervently support like that, like some of the folks you described. I I just, I, that part I really don't understand. I don't care if it turned you into, I don't care if it led you to the presidency. I I just, the idea that you're going to like double down. I mean, it's even one thing to say, I don't regret it. Okay weird take, but all right, especially if it really did, if you got lucky and you rolled the dice and, and that internship led to that job, that led to that job, that led to that job. I get it. Um, the idea that you're going to sort of foist that view on the entire concept of this very, very strange practice that you think we would not be talking about in the year 2021. And I'm glad to hear that you actually at least briefly, you know, wriggled out of, of, of what that process was. I myself also had a paid internship, but there was a catch to mine. It was actually a well-paid internship. I worked for a railroad down in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, my last summer before graduation. And the pay was great. I was like, oh my God, it was like eight bucks an hour or something. And way back then, I don't got to tell you, Joe, that was a lot of money. But the catch was that I had to join a railroaders union, um, which is fine. Okay. They took like three quarters of the paycheck. So my actual pay was about two bucks an hour. And then those were benefits that went into a, a pension fund, something or other. I don't know. Burlington Northern Railroad, you still have my money. Uh, but I would never be able to collect because I was not going to work there long enough to ever be able to qualify for it. So it was just sort of a vacation fund for somebody, I suppose. And I hope they did have a good vacation on some of that money that I, I guess, essentially gave to them. The irony was that I also had lined up an internship unpaid with Amnesty International. And as perhaps you can tell just by looking at me, that was what I preferred to do, but it was unpaid. It was just three months. And, you know, of course it is a privilege as has been part of this debate. It's a privilege for somebody like myself in the position I was to be able to say, Hey, I'm, I'm able to work for three months and live at home and get away with that. A lot of people aren't. And that's another way that the internship process, the unpaid internship or the low paid internship process is biased against people, particularly people who don't have the means. 
But for three months, I thought I could probably swing it, especially being close enough to home. But my dad said, that's a bad idea. I don't want you to do that, which sounds very noble, except for the fact that then I ended up having to spend a ton of money on some fancy tie clothes and, you know, somehow do something with my hair and button myself up with cufflinks, which ended up, I mean, I'm sure I ran into the red, that wonderful experience working for the Burlington Northern Railroad. So my first professional published work. Yes, Joe Reese's, you did not know this, but was for railroad magazines and newsletters. So you learned something you did not know that you wanted to know, and I'm sure now regret that you do know. But it is a strange, strange process. And the idea that you're going to double down on it, no matter what path you took, and you're not even benefiting from it. If you're the fat can owning the company, I could see why you're like, hey, back in 1961, I was an intern. Look where I A lot of these people standing up for it are not in that position. They're, you know, maybe reporters or whatever. They're, they're, I don't think they got any, in, any vested interest to, to gain from this, unless I guess they need someone to fetch them coffee for free for a while. I don't know. It's very suspicious. And, and, I know I sort of wedged that into this, but it's, it's sort of been out there and, and it does pertain to, wow, it really pertains to this site in particular, but I mean, it, it pertains to the direction the economy is going or has been and the fact that we haven't, we're not pulling back from it and not to stray too far from White Sox baseball, but it's just, uh, it's been a fascinating uh, subject to follow. And again, the, the different sides of this tug of war, um, have surprised me, I have to say, and uh, I'm not really sure what the takeaway should be or how I feel about that, but I, I will say I'm surprised. I sort of don't want anybody to talk about it anymore because I sort of don't want to know some of the stuff about what some of these people think. <laughs> scary <laughs> me. <laughs> but you got the paid internship. I technically did too, so you know, maybe there's hope. And this, I have to say, I mean, you know, again, just by looking at us, we might be talking about different areas here. So I hope that perhaps there's a trend and a pullback um, as a lot of things might be, you know, changing in this world around us. Let's hope that there's just fair wage for fair work. Um, and again, yes. speaking from the, the pulpit in which I am speaking as the host of the South Side Sox podcast, I understand it pertains very strongly to the work we do. And trust me, all listeners, all readers, all watchers, I'm doing my best. But I'm just one man. A man who was raised on the railroad. <laughs> All right, it's officially gotten super silly here. I guess that means it's time to wind things up. Joe, you are going to be covering throughout the year for us the game recaps, game threads. I believe you're going to be dipping into six-pack work as well, which I believe is going to stick around and come at so strong. It may even expand to a 12-pack. I don't even know. We got some things in store because we might be pulling in some baseball savant stat work and not just rely on fan graphs any longer. I don't know how we're going to balance that. That's what spring training is for. We're going to figure that out, even though we don't really have that data to play with in spring training. We'll somehow figure it out. But six-pack, minor league writing, I, you jack of all trades. Uh, that paid internship uh, prepped you well for this type of uh, all-hands-on-deck work you're doing for us. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about all. Yeah, that was a massive catch that you described about your paid internship. Yeah, that was that was something. But you know, they couldn't do anything about my hair length. Mm -hmm. Just had to wear it because like, do I pay the dude two bucks? 
Mm-hmm. And you know, hey, thankfully I didn't just have to go get coffee. You know, it was more than just that. I had like an office because they had like a lot of extra space, right? So I, you know, I had like an office so I could act like a big guy, except when the big guy looks at his check and says, man, I did not think the number could be that small. You sort of feel a little smaller again. And you know what, Joe? I've really never felt any bigger than that. So at, at 21, I sort of was told my place. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. Uh, feel free in any of those different types of articles you're going to be writing for us all year on Southside Sox. Feel free to sprinkle in as much data science as you wish. You can mine it. You can seed it. Uh, you can illustrate it. And I'm sure you're going to because that's what some of this fun stuff like the six pack is. Even some of the minor league work is. Uh, and again, even in the write ups of games, uh, all that stuff we pull in, we're trying to come up with real creative takes on games, not just first inning, second inning, third inning. So hopefully each writer is going to come up with sort of their unique go to moves and their unique wrinkles that they're going to pull out. Colleen Sullivan today was real good. Uh, she likened the tie today to uh, a tie in soccer. And, you know, she had her little headings going, her little bullet point type of stuff. And everybody's got sort of their own take on stuff. And that's what makes makes this stuff fun to uh, to, to to read, to write, uh, to edit. And, yeah, certainly I hope all the readers feel the same. Take a unique grasp on each game. And, and Joe, you provide that unique voice along with everyone else. we got a big crew of people writing this year. So, uh our standout Joe Reese is not just a Sox math standout. Our writing standout as well is going to be doing it for us um, roughly on a weekly basis or so, I think. I'm trying to remember the schedule, but uh, something like that. Thank you very much. It's a great um, team to be a part of and yeah, very happy to contribute. Um, given my general pay rate, Joe, I am available for PR work. I can represent you. And so, you know, when that opportunity comes, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not even a Rachel Luba level. I mean, I can go like 1%. I charge real low. So it's all good. I mean, technically you call it an unpaid internship because I, you know, I've been through those low paid internships. So Mm -hmm. we could do it again. So we'll talk, but we'll, we'll do that offline. Thanks everybody for, for, for watching, Uh, always for reading and for listening to our podcast. This wraps up number 25. We'll be back probably in just a few days with something else. I think tomorrow we'll have uh, another sharing socks with the, uh, with the Allen boys and uh, we'll have something probably coming around by the weekend. Uh, more Southside Sox podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Joe, thanks for being with me once again. Great to be here. Thank you for having me.